Father, your love for us is indeed deep and wide and high. Father, that love that that you poured out into the lives of your people in the person of Christ. Father, we, we do not boast in anything other than Christ. Father, as we open your word today and we hear from Christ, I pray that we would be humble before your word, that we would we would not only hear but do. Thank you, Father, for the example of Christ in the flesh that we are to imitate. Thank you for the truth that your word has that we can we can understand and believe. And Father, I, I do pray that that today may even be the day of salvation for some. As they as they may see their their need for a Savior. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. Guests. One of the one of the truths that 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 I believe that we understand and live out imperfectly, but we understand it and and believe it, and that is that God intends for men to lead. We we are a church that believes in in patriarchy, if you will, and this is a this is a vile thing in the culture we live in. But we we believe that, and we 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 believe God's word, and we know, and we desire to live our lives consistent with this truth amongst all the truths of God's word in our in our homes in the church men are to lead God has been very clear on this matter yes and I believe we all say amen in our homes you know if the world were going to run rightly I would argue if it was going to be a theonomy if we were going to have a godly World, even nation, then it would be led by men. Godly men, but men. But in our homes and our churches, we we believe this. And I want to encourage the men today with something. So when the Ark of the Covenant was returned to Jerusalem and, and David told Asaph and his and his brothers to sing a song. And here's part of the song in First Chronicles 16. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him, and strength and hope and joy are in His place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. This is the, the way that Asaph and his brothers were to sing. In Nehemiah, the people of Israel had gathered together. Remember, they were rebuilding the wall, and they gathered before the Lord. And remember, Ezra read from the book of the law, and Nehemiah preached. And the heads of the households gathered together to study the law, and, and they, they made booze for the Feast of Booze that was going to be celebrated again. On the eighth day, they, they gathered, and they, they assembled, and they, they repented of sin. And then Nehemiah 5, then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethathiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Listen to Psalm 100. This is a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. 
Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that what the, the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. In the New Testament, when Paul is instructing Timothy on how the church, the orthopraxy of the church, he says, I desire that in every place the men should pray. The men should pray. This is the very verse that he goes on to talk about how women should be humble. Men should pray and lift holy hands without anger or quarreling. Men should lift holy hands and pray. In Paul's instruction, his orthopraxy to the church at Colossae, what does he say? He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. Thankfulness manifesting in song. Men leading in worship. Men of Grace Fellowship Church. As elders, we we have we have a desire that the men of this church would lead their families in all ways, and one of the ways that would be is in the Lord's Day gathering. And how we sing and how we pray. We we think there there can be at times a lukewarmness in us. If you could stand up here where I am and watch this congregation there can be a lukewarmness in our singing there can be a reticence to pray in the evenings when we ask for prayer there's no decibel standard so anybody that's mind goes to well how loud must I sing how loud must I no 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 we are to come and worship the Lord and we are to lead our families in that worship. There's no standard that I'm trying to put out there. You can look into your own hearts. If you individually want to come and tell me, Pastor, you have no right, I don't. We have every right. We are to worship and we are to lead, men. Now I will grant you, we sing some songs. This morning we sang a couple of songs we've never sung before. It's hard to sing those with enthusiasm and it's because we're trying to learn them. Granted. There's many songs we know well. And, 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 and really, men, I want you to know something. And, and I see the same in our children. But I, I see men that literally their mouths hardly move. They're, they're, they're hardly moving. And you know, well, I'm, 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 I'm worshiping in my heart. Let it out. Lift holy hands. Pray. Sing. Praise. Worship. Men, we lead. We don't lead with our feelings, do we? We have them. Our wives have them. Our children have them. I would argue our wives have emotions more than we do and are are tempted to live out of their feelings more than we are. We We don't lead. We don't live. We don't lead our families to live out of our feelings. I don't feel like singing. Sing! I don't feel like praying. Pray! Look, I know, I understand. Here's what I know. I know that some of you, this will stir you up and you'll be frustrated or you'll be happy or you'll be whatever. Listen, we are to lead. Yes, men? And we are not to lead lukewarm worship. Yes, men? And whatever that means for you, and it's different than me. We're not all the same. There is no standard being given other than we lead our families to worship the God who saved us and the Christ who keeps us and died for us and lived for us. We we are to be 
leading our families, brothers, to worship God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be encouraged. Be spurred on. Be men who are worshiping God in song, in prayer, in all that we do. Father, help help me. Help us, Father. Help us men. Help us men to lead well. Father, help us to lead from the heart. Even as we will open your word today that we would be men that would offer up our worship from our hearts that you have given us by your spirit whom you have given us that we would not interact with you out of our feelings and father it is true that we have feelings it is also true that We are not condemned because of our feelings or the actions that come out of them. It is also true, Father, that you have told us how to worship. You have told us to sing and to pray. Help us, Father, to do so with hearts that are on fire. Father, not in some manifested experiential way that we simply would be spirit-led men. That we would have an example that our wives and our children could follow. Thank you, Father, for your son. Thank you for the the privilege it is to worship you in spirit and in truth, the ability that you've given us. Thank you, Father. Help us as you keep us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, turn in Bibles to Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 37. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. We're going to see today Jesus as a brunch guest at a Pharisee's house. We're going to see a model of how we how we are to evangelize the, the very religious, legalistic person. How to show them that dirty hands are not the problem, dirty hearts are. So please stand and I will read verses 37 through verse 44 of Luke chapter 11. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees! For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. You may be seated. This is the word of God for the people of God. We see Jesus accepting an invitation from a Pharisee. We see he intentionally doesn't follow their their ceremonial religious practice of washing hands. We see he exposes their hypocrisy. He calls them stupid. And then he pronounces woes on them. This is what we see today. This is who we are to imitate. This is Jesus Christ himself. He hates legalism. He hates self-righteousness. 
He hates hypocrisy. He's not afraid or too shy or too self-protective in calling sinners sinners and pronouncing judgment upon them. Now, different than him, we don't know people's hearts perfectly. But we do know the words that come out of their mouth. We do know the practice that they practice. Remember from where, where we've come. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. He says, look, this, you, this crowd, these people, you all that are following me, wanting all these miracles, you, you ones that think I'm working for the devil, and then the ones that want a sign, you're going to be given no sign except the sign of Jonah. You're going to see something at my death and my resurrection. But beyond that, you want a sign. The, the, the queen of the south had far less revelation than you, and yet she believed. She's going to rise up in judgment against you. The men of Nineveh repented. They had far less than, they had, they had one far, Jonah was far less than the one standing before you. Christ is telling them. And they will rise up in judgment against you. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, you'll be wholly bright. And as, a, as when a lamp, when it's ray, gives you light. Jesus, Jesus is telling, look, God is shining the light. He's exposing darkness. It's, it's, it's like Ephesians 5. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Well, that's what he's telling in Ephesians. What we're to do, that's exactly what Christ is doing. Christ himself is shining the light in the darkness and exposing these the darkness that's in these people. Now, while Jesus was speaking, so while this is going on, Jesus is calling this generation evil and wicked, and he's talking about the light of God. He is the light of God. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee's invitation comes. Back in Luke while 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. Now, we've looked at this before, but not for a while. Pharisee, the word, the Aramaic word is Pharisaios. It means separated one. The word means separated one because the Pharisees were kind of a set-apart group. The Pharisees were, were, they were a sect of Judaism. They were, they were mainly laymen. They were the most influential sect as it, as it related to the masses. The Sadducees, the Pharisees were a couple of sects. The Sadducees were less influential with the masses. The Pharisees were very influential with the people. Uh, they, were, they were extremely zealous for the law. They, 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 the Torah, the Mosaic law was the most important thing in their lives. So that the Mosaic law and then the laws that were written out of that or the additional man-made laws, they worked very hard to follow. They had... They had Lots of extra-biblical practices and traditions. They were separated from the masses. They, they, they thought they were better than the masses, and the masses thought they were better than the masses. 
They were very religious, pious men. They, they believed that, that their observance of the law and the additional laws would justify them before God. That was their religion. Their religion was to, to live rightly, to do lots of ceremonies and rituals that would have them be justified before God. They were, they were very zealous for what they thought of was holiness. Very zealous to be holy. In the Sermon on the Mount, remember, Matthew, or Jesus said this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Jews knew how righteous and holy the Pharisees were. They were, they were the standard. The Pharisees, the scribes of the Pharisees, they were the, the standard of religious life. They were the bar. They would be followed by the common folk. And Jesus had lots of interactions with the Pharisees uh, in, in Luke's gospel. And back in Luke 5, one of those days he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. So, Jesus was healing. He had the power to heal, and he had big crowds following him. And part of who came were the Pharisees from all over uh, Judea and Galilee and Jerusalem. They came to see this miracle worker, Jesus of Nazareth. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. But finding a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes of the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? Look, the Pharisees had very good theology, didn't they? They knew that the only ones who could forgive sins was God himself. So they knew that Jesus was claiming deity. They, they knew that this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, who was doing the healing, this, this paraplegic comes down through the tiles, and he says, your sins are forgiven. And they call him a blasphemer. After, after Matthew, Levi, leaves his job as a tax collector to follow Jesus, Luke five twenty nine. And Levi made him, Jesus, a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. These Pharisees hated that Jesus would be around lowly tax collectors and sinners. They were far better. They were too holy to be around these scum, the scum of the earth. And, and Jesus, if you're so great, if you're, if you're a prophet, if you're, if you're sent by God, you would not be around these tax collectors and sinners. And you also, you also would fast. We have rules about fasting. I fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You don't even fast. Your, your disciples don't even fast. They don't follow the rules. They were very upset because Jesus and his disciples didn't follow their rules. The way, the rules that were there to, 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 to make one justified before God, they thought. In Luke 6, on a Sabbath, while he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some of the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Again, the Pharisees catch him up. They had 39 Sabbath laws, well, sections with subsections under it, from, from carrying to sifting to weaving to, to skinning, all kinds of laws. And, and they're saying the Pharisees were upset because Jesus and his disciples were not following their laws. They hated Jesus and his disciples because they were lawbreakers, and therefore they weren't right with God according to the Pharisees. Luke 6, On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so he might find a reason to accuse him. So these Pharisees, again, they're, they're at the synagogue, there's a man that comes in with a withered hand, and they're sitting there to watch Jesus to see if he's going to break the Sabbath laws again. 
so they can accuse him. Well, Jesus does heal the, the withered hand, the man with the withered hand. In verse 11, they, the Pharisees, were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. These Pharisees hated Jesus. They hated his new religion. They, they hated that he didn't follow their laws. And he was claiming to be deity, and he had all this power. And he threatened them. They wanted him to stop. Luke 7, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. The Pharisees refused to be baptized by John the Baptist in a baptism of repentance because they didn't think they needed to repent. They didn't see themselves as sinners. They didn't see themselves as sick. They saw themselves as law followers. They followed the law, and therefore they were justified with God, so they didn't need to repent of anything. And and that was Jesus' message, wasn't it? Repent. You don't need to repent. They were the standard of Judaism. They needed no baptism. There was an earlier occasion where Jesus had gone to a Pharisee's house to eat in Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. This Pharisee, when Jesus lets this prostitute interact with him, in his mind he's thinking, You're no prophet. Because prophets would be like us. They would be too good and too holy to hang out with people like prostitutes. So Jesus proceeds to to, to uh, minister to this woman, let her touch. He then tells a parable uh, about uh, who has the larger debt, is, is in need of more forgiveness, and will love more. And then down in Luke seven forty eight, and he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. So he's at the Pharisee's house, this Pharisee's house, having a, a meal. This Pharisee's offended that he's interacting with this prostitute, and he actually tells her her sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? How does he, how does he claim to forgive her sins? Who does he think he is? Is, is what the Pharisees are thinking. They, they had good theology about God only being able to forgive sins, and that's what Jesus was claiming to be doing. So, He'd done that one more one time earlier. Now we see him. He's in Judea. Remember, he's coming toward the end of his ministry. He's headed toward Calvary. He's within months of the cross. He's 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 now preaching to this group of people. He's shining the light, uh, preaching about uh, darkness and light, preaching about the wickedness of this generation. This Pharisee asks him to come to lunch. He's had all these experiences with Pharisees. Surely he's going to say, there's no way I'm coming to your house for lunch. I don't have time for you. You're too proud. You're too far gone. You want my ministry to end. There's no way. This man was a a hater of Jesus. He was clearly his enemy. There's no way he'd waste his time with him, right? This religious, self-righteous God-hater. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. This is a great example for us, beloved. If we are invited to a self-righteous, religious person's home or into their presence, even if they hate our message and our gospel and have rejected it before, we'll gladly come. We'll gladly come. We'll gladly come even though we know they're God-haters and 
They hate the message that we bring. We gladly go to the self-righteous Roman Catholic's house and talk about Christ. You know, we, we hear about Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, and that's a, that's a way that people say we ought to hang out with sinners and tax collectors. Well, if we, we should. And when we do, what should we tell them? The gospel. Well, we also should hang out with the really religious folks. The Roman Catholic, who's the nicest person you know. The Jehovah's Witness, who is a lifelong friend, who's a really nice man, relatively moral. The Mormon, who's a lifelong friend, who's relatively moral and lived his life way more clean than you did way back when. You know, the secular humanist, who's the really nice person, who's rejected the message before, and they invite you to come to their table. Whether trying to... Whether, whether this Pharisee was trying to set Jesus up again, which is probable, or he really wanted to talk to him. He didn't ask him. He just went. He accepted the invitation, and he went. And again, there's been a lot of history of Pharisees, hasn't there? Maybe not this particular Pharisee, but a lot of history with these Pharisees and what they think and their rejection of Christ. He went. We should, like Jesus, go and tell sinners, tax collectors, and self-righteous religious legalists. Come one, come all. We'll go anywhere to tell anyone. So Jesus goes and reclines at table. He's ready to eat. And the Pharisee is amazed by Jesus' lack of piety. This Pharisee is amazed by God the Son's lack of piety. While Jesus was speaking, the Pharisee was astonished to see that he, Jesus, did not first wash before dinner. He was amazed. He was shocked that Jesus didn't wash, baptizo, to wash, to purify, washing, purification, to wash with a view of making objects ritually acceptable. They were shocked that Jesus didn't follow their rules. You know, kids, we wash our hands before our meal often, don't we? And we wash that. Why do we wash our hands? For hygiene purposes. Our hands might be dirty in in ways that might make us ill, so we wash our hands for hygiene. That's not why they were washing their hands. It wasn't for hygiene. It was a ritualistic cleansing to, sh- to wash off the filth and the dirt. They might have touched a Gentile that day. Or they might have touched something a Gentile had touched. Or they might have crossed or come across a dead animal. So they needed to wash their hands to be ceremonially clean before they would take food into their bodies to not infiltrate their bodies with this, this dirt and this this. this darkness of the Gentiles and the, and the low life that they were. Look at Matthew's gospel concerning this topic. Matthew 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. This is tradition of the elders. There's nothing about this that's biblical. This was a tradition of men. And they were mad because they didn't follow the traditions of men. The way they knew they were going to be right with God was by washing off the grime before they would take food in. This was a man-made religious ritual, Mark 7. Now, when the Pharisee gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? There was a very clear way, a ceremony, a ritual that was to be followed before you would take a meal. There, the, the, there was the water. Water was kept in a uh, in a jar 
ready for every meal. The minimum amount of water that could be used for this ritual was a quarter of a log, which is one and a half eggshells full. You had to use at least one and a half eggshells full of water. You had to pour the water on both hands with the fingers extended upwards. The water had to run down the hand and drip off the wrist. You couldn't turn it back over because if you turn it back over, the water, the dirt would just go back on your hands. You had to do this. And then you had to turn your hand over and do the same thing again so the water would flow off. And then you had to take your fist and rub the other palm like this to get all of it off. That was, how you, that, that was the ritual that you had to do. And if you didn't do that ritual... Then, then you offended these Pharisees, these legalists. So, Jesus intentionally didn't do it. Guaranteed he knew about it. I mean, he lived in, in this, this culture. It was well known that you're to wash your hands. He went and reclined at table bypassing this ceremony. And it it really shocked and amazed this Pharisee. This was a must for holiness. They, they kept this rule and many others fastidiously. They kept them and demanded that all Jews do the same. And Jesus, this Jesus, this, this, this man who was just up preaching to all these people, telling about light and claiming deity, he doesn't even wash his hands. So he ignores this ritual intentionally. And when he's challenged, he lets them have it. He lets them know that legalism deals with the outside, but the problem is on the inside. And they, the Lord said to him, because he knew what he was thinking about, offended or shocked because Jesus hadn't washed his hands. The Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse, katharizo, Make clean, cleanse, purify, ceremonially cleanse by washing. You, you, have a, you have a ceremonial cleansing, not for hygiene, but for holiness. You clean the outside of your hands. You keep, you're going to see in a minute, the outside of the cup and dish. You Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish. You, you, you make sure, think about this for a minute. If you've got a cup and the inside of the cup is like I have my, my Yeti. If I don't wash it for a while, I have coffee or soda, whatever, eventually it gets kind of nasty in there. And I can wash the outside. It's doing me no good. The problem's on the inside. Well, they would wash their cups on the, ins- on the outside. They would, they would wash their plates on the bottom. He said, you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside, as so thin, that word meant a person's inner self, the inner being within oneself. He said, you cleanse the cup and the dish, but in your inner being, in your soul, in you, my host of this brunch, in you is greed and wickedness. Harpage, a state of strong desire to gain things, and if necessary, by violent means. Violent greed, a state of strong desire for gain by any means. Greediness. You plunder, you steal, you steal not only the resources from the normal folks, the common folks, to pay for your position, you also steal their souls. You wash, you have these ceremonies, but inside, inside, you're greedy. You're plundering and you're stealing. You're, 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 you're greedy and you're wicked. Poneria, wickedness, evil, malice. You are wicked. Get the picture, folks. Jesus, huge following, preaching to them, giving this message, calling the generation evil. The Pharisee comes, hey, come to my house for brunch. Great, let me come to your house for brunch. It's a meal that would take in a while. He reclines at table. The Pharisee inside is thinking, he didn't even wash his hands. And Jesus said, look, you wash the cups and the dishes. You are evil and wicked in your soul. Who talks like that? Not a very good house guest, is it? 
You're full of spiritual evil and wickedness. You clean the outside of the dishes. You wash your hands to symbolize cleanliness and holiness, and your souls are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Aphron, without reason, senseless, foolish, stupid. You senseless, stupid men. You follow all of these outward rituals, all of these ceremonies, and inside you are defiled. You have all this religion, all these ceremonies, but inside you are defiled. You are fools. You're without sense. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? You're worried about all of your religious practices out there? Didn't he make your soul also? And you pay no attention to that. You only pay attention to these outward signs of holiness that come from a law that's outside of you. You have a law that's outside of you, and you you have all of these things that you do on the outside that you think make you right, and you don't even consider your soul. You don't even think about your soul. (laughs) Where's the gentleness and respect? Well, here's where the gentleness and respect is. That passage, it talks about giving a reason for the hope that's in you with gentleness and respect. You know what the word for gentleness there is? Priutes. Remember what that means? Power under control. The word they used about breaking a wild horse and bringing him the control of the of the horse horseman, of the owner. <laughs> He's gentle as he tells them they're full of evil and wicked and they're fools. He has power under control. Gentleness and respect. Fabas, fear. Fear of God, not of man. We mustn't be afraid to tell self-righteous, religious, legalistic people the truth. We mustn't be afraid to tell people who are counting on their outward works, not considering their soul, tell them that they're foolish. I was just talking to Sister Kathy this morning about a man I like very much who's really a pretty smart guy in the world's eyes. But he's a fool. He's a fool because he doesn't consider his heart, his soul. He considers he's a good guy. He does his Roman Catholic stuff from time to time. Interestingly, he's not even right with God based on his Roman Catholicism, which most of the Catholics you know aren't. But as long as they confess and you go to the priest and confess and take the Lord's Supper and do those outward things, they're going to be fine. They're fools. And we should tell them they're fools. Ricky and Craig and and, and, and Sacco, they're fools. And how does this... Does the Pharisee like it? So much so, he was part of who had him killed. Jesus goes on and says, how to be cleansed, how to be cleansed, really. Give your soul as alms. You fools, did he not, did he, not he who made the outside make the inside also, but give as alms, donations to the poor, if you will, things that are within. Enemy to be in what's within the soul. Almsgiving for Jews was the pinnacle of religious duty. You need to understand why he said this right here. Because for Jews and for these Pharisees, the pinnacle of their religious duty was to give alms. Now they're to give them not letting their right hand know what their left hand do. They're giving silently, even though they didn't. But even the, even the rabbis would say, no, you do it with 
don't let people know, but giving of alms, that was the highest work they could do. They, they used the same word for uh, almsgiving as righteousness. Zedakah. It was the same word for almsgiving as righteousness. They saw their almsgiving as, as their best work to do. So he goes right after their most important work. And he says, But as alms, though give as alms, more money to the poor. Those things that are within. You want to give an alms? You want to do almsgiving? Give your heart. Give your soul. Give your will to the Lord. And then everything that flows out of that will be clean. J.C. Ryle. And behold, everything is clean in you. Give your souls. Give your, give your soul. Give your inward parts. J.C. Ryle. Give first. This is his description of this. Give first the offering of the inward man. Give your heart, your affections, your will to God as the greatest alms which you bestow. And all your other actions proceeding from a right heart are an acceptable sacrifice and a clean offering in the sight of God. What he's telling these Pharisees is, you wash the cups, you wash your hands, you give alms, you do all of these works that you think make you right with God, and what you ought be giving is your will, your heart, your soul, your inward person. And then everything you would do out of that. See, this is the thing, Brother Jay. Because you've, you've given your life to Christ, because God has made you born again and given you a new heart and new desires, all that you do is acceptable to Him and clean. So when you sing, if you don't sing loud enough, you're still clean. It's acceptable. You don't sing. There's nothing there to sing. But give first. He's telling them, look, you have it all wrong, you Pharisees. You have all this religion, all these things that you do. And you think they're going to justify you before God, and they aren't. We all know it's a work of God. We all know these things. But here's the thing about it, unbelievers in this room. You must give your life to Christ. You must give your heart You must surrender your will. You must turn away from your sins. Because if you don't, all the obeying of mommy and daddy will do you no good. And if you think it's doing you good, you're missing the point. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Remember this, Eddie? This is a lunch guest sitting at the table of a Pharisee waiting to eat. Pharisee's upset that he didn't wash his hands. He lets him have it. And then he says, hey, give the alms of your heart. Give what's within. And then all will be clear. You don't have to worry about all those rituals out there. You have to worry about all this stuff you have to do. But there's more. But woe to legalists. But woe, why? Disaster, horror, dread. Woe to you Pharisees. Disaster, dread. He's sitting in this man's home pronouncing dread and horror upon him. And all of his like-minded guests... Matthew twenty three thirteen. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven to people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go in to enter it. He tells them in no uncertain terms they're going to hell. They're not right with God. Wash your hands all you want. Scrub, pour, eggshell water, all, do it all. 
give alms, give away bunches of money to poor people, you aren't going to heaven. You're going to hell. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb. What were the Pharisees doing? They were being faithful tithers. Leviticus 27.30, Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. It is Yahweh's. So, so to the seed, to the last leaf, these Pharisees would count out their herbs and their leaves and their seeds, and they would give a tenth part. They thought this would make it the, the offering and themselves acceptable to God by following the law. Don't cheat God and you'll be fine. So was Jesus condemning them for tithing? He says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and ruin every herb. And then he says, These you ought to have done. They ought to have tithed. Why? Because God said to tithe. And they were they were they had their old testament, they were to tithe. Jesus isn't condemning obedience to God's commands. He is not condemning obedience to God's commands. He was con- condemning their trust in following those commands as their way to be justified before God. He wasn't condemning the doing of the law, he was condemning their their trust in the doing of the law to be right with God. I mean, you think about it. If you had to count out 100,000 little coriander seeds, you might actually not get exactly 10,000. You might get 9,942. And based on their standard, they would not be right with God, nor would that be acceptable to God. He's telling them that's not the issue. You should have done those things. You tithe mint, ruin every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God without neglecting the others. You should you should have tithed without neglecting justice and the love of God. These Pharisees were not just to the masses. They did not love people. They loved themselves. They loved their righteousness. They hated prostitutes. They hated tax collectors. They hated Gentiles. They were self-righteous. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. These Pharisees ignored this. They were unjust. They were unkind. They were extremely prideful. Zechariah 7, 8 through 10, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, the poor, and let none of them devise evil against another in your heart. The Pharisees were already devising evil against Jesus in their heart at this point. They weren't kind to the poor. They weren't kind to the sojourner. They were legalists that followed the written laws of God or of the Mishnah, and they, they, they neglected other clear commands of God that are from the heart kind of commands. Deuteronomy 10, 12, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, to serve the Lord your God with all the laws. To serve the Lord your God by by making sure to count out 10,000 coriander seeds. To to serve the Lord your God by making sure not to weave on the Sabbath. No, to, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Make alms of what's within. Give alms of what's within. And then all will be clean to you. Keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Keeping the commandments from where? From the heart. From the soul. See, they were obeying God's laws on the outside. They were not loving God and obeying Him from their heart and their soul. 
we have to be very careful, beloved, to not teach anyone, but who's around us most, our children, that they are to obey God's laws that they might be right with Him. Because they can't. They are to obey God's laws from the heart, from within. Give as alms those things within, and then behold, everything is clean for you. I, he says, woe to you Pharisees. I titled it, woe to you legalists. What is legalism? Well, legalism is not emphasizing obedience. Legalism is not emphasizing obedience. We must obey God's word. Read every book of the Bible, and it tells us to obey. Legalism is is not having rules to follow. It is not legalism for Jason to tell his kids, take your shoes off at the door. It's a rule that they should be obedient to. It's not legalism. He's not telling them, take your shoes off the door so you can be right with God. Don't take your shoes off the door. It is not legalism. To have rules. Legalism is an attempt to gain favor with God or to impress your fellow men by doing or not doing certain things without regard to our hearts. Legalism is an attempt to gain favor with God or to impress our fellow men by doing or not doing certain things without regard to our hearts. It is not legalism to obey God from the heart. It is it is not It is legalism to obey God by external means. Legalism believes that we can commend ourselves to God by our actions. We cannot. That's legalism. Legalism, it, it defies, it denies human depravity and exalts human ability. That's what legalism does. It exalts human ability and it it denies human depravity. We can't follow the law, can we? Jesus hates legalism because it does not deal with the condition of our hearts before God. These, these Pharisees didn't see themselves as sinners in need of a Savior because they kept the law, they thought. Jesus goes on, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you who love your position. These Pharisees, the best seat, protokathadaria, Seat of honor, the seat which shows high status, a position or place of particular importance, implying special status to the person occupying it. They they loved their best seat. They loved being in the in the in the marketplace and being greeted by, oh, wonderful Pharisee. Oh, great teacher of the law. Oh, you fast so well. Oh, could you teach me some things? And they loved it. And they loved when they went in the synagogue, they had the best seat. Anybody's been to Kenya with me, you know the disdain I have for you. Walk in, and every church has what? The special red chairs where the important people sit. We're all messed up here. I need a red chair here, and my wife needs one here. Because there's no good. I hate the thought of that. And one of my concerns, and one of my, one of my pleas with those men over there, don't love that. Don't love the greetings in the marketplace. 
The, the Pharisees hated Jesus and his message because they had no humility. They loved their status. He was a threat to their importance and their position. Best seat in the house. Greetings in the marketplace. What do you think we would do? Uh, you pick the person. If Vody Balkum came to town, put a special chair up here for him in the corner? Or you just sit out there? Okay, well then John McCarthy. How about the Pope? What would we do with the Pope? Well, call him to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, but we'd have him sit there. Or the priest. Or the Mormon elders. Woe to you, Pharisees. You love the best seat in the synagogues and the greeting in the marketplace. He goes on, Woe to you who contaminate others. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. He's telling this guest, I mean, this, this host, this man who's feeding him brunch, and all of the guys with him, he's telling them, You are like unmarked graves. There is hardly a worse slap in the face he could give them. We won't look at numbers, but in numbers, if you touch a grave or a dead person, you're unclean for seven days. Lots to go through to get out of it. Okay? So you aren't, they weren't to touch. So, so when, when Passover would come, millions of people, 100,000 people would come to Jerusalem, right? What would they do? They'd whitewash all the graves so you could see them, so you wouldn't accidentally step on them. Okay? Because it would defile you. He's telling them, you are like unmarked graves. You defile everyone who comes in contact with you, and they don't even know they're being defiled. They have no idea that you're defiling them. But I want you to know something. I know that you're defiling them. You need to know that you're defiling them with your, with your legalistic, self-righteous, outward actions that, think, that you think make you right with God. And then you're disdain for any of us who won't do those things. What is it someone must do? What is the outward action someone must do to be right with God? What is the behavior? Give alms? Uh, Wash their hands before they eat? Pray? What do I have to do? Give alms of your inner person. Give alms from within. And then all things will be clean to you. The only way we can be right with God is through Jesus Christ. These Pharisees are looking at the light of the world. And they're judging him because he won't wash their hands according to their human tradition. Be careful not to judge people because they won't do our traditions. Closing thought. Jesus gives us a great example of how to evangelize the legalist. The one who is trusting in their religion to save them and teaches others to do the same. There are many people that we know, that you know, that I know, that trust in their religion. And they teach other people to do the same. And they need to be evangelized. They need to be shown that their their ceremonies and their rituals... I can't, I can't help, it just keeps coming to mind, so I'm going to say it. What do you do when you walk in a Catholic church if you're a good Catholic? Your little bucket of what? Holy water, you got to wash up before you go in. To wash off the defilement, are you kidding me? Could it be any more like what the Pharisees were doing? <laughs> Loving the best seat in the house? Wearing all the costumes? They need to know. They need to hear this. Look, at you can keep praying for me. At my breakfast with my Jehovah's Witness, my Mormon, and my secular humanist good guy friend, that I would continue to tell them the truth and let them know what fools they are. That I would keep doing that. All three of them think they're okay with the God they've made up in their head. And two of the three think it's because of their outward works. Well, actually, all three of them do.
Okay, Jesus gives us a great example how to evangelize a legalist, the one who is trusting in their religion and save, to save them and teaches others to do the same. He shines a light of truth on their lives, calls them fools, and pronounces woes upon them. Brethren, please pray for me as I will you that we be more Christ-like with those who have clean hands and dirty hearts. Pray for one another that we would be more like Christ with those who have clean hands and dirty hearts that are trusting in their outward acts of religion, their outward works. This this goes to lots of different places. (laughs) What are they trusting in at Bethel? Healings, tongues, Move of the Spirit. Are they trusting in Christ alone? Julie, what are, they, what are your family members trusting in? Never dying? Healing diseases? Hearing new fresh words? Or are they trusting in Christ alone? What are they trusting in? While he was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give his alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and ruin every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Those you have ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? What is it a matter of? It's a matter of our heart. What is it that God promised to give us in Ezekiel, a new heart? Our problem is not dirty hands. The people you know that don't know Christ, their problem is not dirty hands, it's dirty hearts. And we must help them to see that. No matter how many times they reject us or hate us or don't want the message. Father, we thank you again for the clarity of your word. We thank you for the example we have in Christ. Father, we do know we are not Christ. We do not see all things perfectly as he did. But we are to be shedding light. We are to be spreading light, lights in this perverse generation, not just with the obvious God-haters who reject you in the way they live, the vile, nasty shameful ways in which they live, but help us to understand, Father, that the the self-righteous legalist, the one who's pious and religious, that's trusting in those things, is in no better place. Quite possibly, Father, they're in a worse place. Help us to be like Christ and tell them the truth. The hearts are their issue, not their hands. Pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, He who is mighty, from our handout. He who